Folks, as many of you have heard on the news and on social media, Christopher Tolkien died this past Wednesday, January 15th. Now, we originally recorded this episode a month ago, as we usually do, but as soon as we heard the news, we immediately knew we wanted to record a new introduction to talk a little bit about Christopher Tolkien. Absolutely. The debt that all of us as Tolkien fans owe to Christopher is truly immeasurable. For more than 50 years, he has labored to bring us more and more of his father's works and his father's world. He was completely dedicated to preserving his father's legacy. And as you all know, he worked tirelessly to get as much of J.R.R. Tolkien's work out to the world as he possibly could. Yeah. And as we've observed before, the, the greater community of Tolkien lovers has been made richer and stronger by our ability to share in these works that, frankly, would never have seen the light of day otherwise. And I have to say, Christopher's work brought Alan and me together as friends and as co-hosts of this podcast. Yeah. And I'm happy to say that it's brought all of us together in our appreciation of his father's talents. Quite true. Now, if you've only recently joined us on the show, you might not be aware of all the things that Christopher Tolkien has done. After his father died, he spent four years organizing all the myths and legends of the First Age and publishing them as the Silmarillion. But even that wasn't enough. In 1983, he released the first volume of the 12-volume series, The History of Middle-Earth, in which he compiled drafts, fragments, manuscripts, notes in the margins, and other bits that he pulled from over 70 boxes of unpublished writings of his father's work. Goodness. And of course, he was responsible for the release of the other posthumous works of his father, countless volumes, it seems, but certainly including all three of the first age tales that have come out in the last several years, as well as works like Tolkien's translation of Beowulf and so many others. The New York Times obituary quotes Tom Shippey, Without Christopher, we would have very little knowledge of how Tolkien created his mythology and his own legendarium. And Dr. Shippey is absolutely correct. Christopher's work gave us a front row seat to the very process by which Tolkien's worlds and works came to life. Another guest of ours, Dimitra Fimi, is quoted in The Guardian as having said, He gave us a window into Tolkien's creative process, and he provided scholarly commentary that enriched our understanding of Middle-earth. He was Middle-earth's cartographer and first scholar. Folks, we could spend an entire episode talking about the enormous impact that Christopher Tolkien has had on the world of Tolkien fandom and Tolkien scholarship. Mm -hmm. In fact, we're hoping to do just that. That's right. Granted, we can't make any specific promises this far out. It's all still just taking shape. But our intention is to set aside the last episode of this season to bring in some friends of the show to discuss Christopher Tolkien, the tireless work that he did, and the impact that he and that work had. And in the meantime, we thought we would close with some quotes from J.R.R. Tolkien himself. The first of these is from letter number 45, which he wrote to his older son, Michael, in June of 1941. Still, let us both take heart of hope and faith. The link between father and son is not only of the perishable flesh. It must have something of eternitas about it. There is a place called heaven where the good here unfinished is completed, and where the stories unwritten and the hopes unfulfilled are continued. We may laugh together yet. And then from letter number 64, written to Christopher in April 1944. You were so special a gift to me in a time of sorrow and mental suffering, and your love, opening at once almost as soon as you were born, foretold to me, as it were in spoken words, that I am consoled ever by the certainty that there is no end to this. Probable under God that we shall meet again, in hail and in unity, before very long, dearest, and certain that we have some special bond to last beyond this life. Thank you, my friends, for taking this special time with us to honor the memory of Christopher Tolkien before this episode begins. 
And I want to say truly thank you, Christopher, for all you've done for all of us, all Tolkien fans everywhere. Indeed. Thank you, Christopher, for everything you've done for both your father and for us. Namarie. Good evening, little masters, and welcome to episode 151 of the Prancing Pony Podcast, where we are silent and restless. Silent, huh? I mean, that would make for a short episode, wouldn't it? Yeah, kind of not us. We're certainly restless, or at least I am. But Aragorn's the only one silent and restless tonight. True. But folks, go ahead and pull up a bench in the common room, and we'll be right there. I'm Sean Marchese, the real-life Lord of the Mark, and I'm here with the Man of the West, who does not miss the East Wind, Alan Sisto. No, I don't. But I do have a sense of watchfulness and fear that I've never had before. <laughs> no matter how convincingly you say that, Alan, I'm not going to pay attention. Because I'm still <laughs> thinking about something I wish I had said in the last episode. Oh, yeah? What's that? Well, I'll tell you in today's installment of Philology Fair. It's been a long time since we've been able to use that music. It's been way too long, and already I'm, I'm, I'm getting my little dance on the way I always yeah. do with that music. I'm so glad we're on audio only. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Me too. Well, folks, in our last reading from the chapter in last week's episode, we saw how Legolas, the strange elf of the Fellowship, described the Noldor of Eregion as strange. Right. Uh, specifically, he said, the elves of this land were of a race strange to us of the Sylvan folk. And for a while now, I've been thinking about that word, Sylvan. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've seen it before. Sylvan elves is a common Westron name for the wood elves of Mirkwood and of Lothlorien, who we'll be meeting soon. We know from the history of Galadriel and Celeborn that their own name for themselves in their Elvish language is Tawarwaith, which means the forest people. And then here's a quote. They were in origin Teleri, and so remoter kin of the Sindar, though even longer separated from them than the Teleri of Valinor. They were descended from those of the Teleri who, on the great journey, were daunted by the Misty Mountains and lingered in the Vale of Anduin, and so never reached Beleriand or the sea. They were thus closer akin to the Nandor, otherwise called the Green Elves, of Osiriand, who eventually crossed the mountains and came at last into Beleriand. That's right. But this is the first time the name Sylvan appears in The Lord of the Rings, so I thought it would be worth discussing. Now, it's not a word that appears in everyday speech in English, is it? But it's not really uncommon either. It's actually pretty common, depending on where you live, because it's actually stuck in the middle of some place names like Pennsylvania and Transylvania. Hmm. Now, it's more commonly spelled with a Y, as it is in those place names. So I want to look into the questions of why did Tolkien use this word and why did he spell it with an I? Hmm. Now, the word actually comes to English via French from a Latin word Sylvanus, which is spelled either with an I or with a Y. Hmm. This is from a Latin noun Silva with an I or a Y, meaning a wood or forest or woodland. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, S-I-L-V-A was the original spelling of the Latin word, but it was commonly misspelt with a Y in imitation of a Greek word, hule, which meant the same thing and was spelt with huh. a Y when it was written in the Latin alphabet. I am glad you took that Greek word. Better you than me, Sean. Well, and they said my classics degree wouldn't be good for anything except teaching. But here's where it gets interesting, folks, because despite the fact that silva simply means forest or wood, this derived term Sylvanus, which was originally a noun, it actually originally referred specifically to supernatural creatures of the woods. It, it wasn't just for anything of the woods. It was specifically supernatural creatures. 
there actually was an ancient Roman deity of forests, a, a kind of a pan figure named Silvanus, and the feminine form of the word was used in Latin to refer to goddesses of the woods. When the word passed into English in the mid-1500s, its earliest usage was as a noun. It was actually a translation of a Latin text by the poet Ovid, uh, and it was uh, the, the word was used alongside satyrs, fauns, and sundry nymphs, so that supernatural connotation was present in early English. Mm-hmm. And it, in fact, it appears to be the primary usage of the word for many decades. Now, it did start appearing as an adjective before 1600 or so, but still in supernatural senses like sylvan gods or sylvan deities, sometimes with an I, sometimes with a Y. As an adjective, it wasn't really applied to anything except for supernatural creatures until almost 100 years later in the mid-1600s. Hmm. Wow. Now, I know from looking at the OED that John Milton was a big fan of it. A couple of the okay. citations of it in the OED are from his works, Paradise Lost and Comus, uh, mm-hmm. the latter of which I have not read, but it's it appears to be about a journey through a forest, and it sounds a little bit like a journey through Mirkwood to me. So I'll huh. probably be reading that one soon. Okay. You know, that's interesting. Uh, you know, a few of our scholars have mentioned the possibility of a connection between Tolkien and Milton. Uh, Verland Flieger pointed out really briefly the similarity between the fall of Melkor and Ainulindale and the fall of Satan in Paradise Lost. And I remember John Garth comparing Tolkien to Milton, saying that he was a mythographer who produced a grave and pertinent epic in time of war and revolution. Uh, he also observed that, like Milton, Tolkien also tries to justify the ways of God to men. Yeah, I actually remember you asking John about that when we first interviewed him years ago. Mm-hmm. And and I'm sure that that comparison between Melkor and Milton's Lucifer has come up on the show before. I think I've probably... Yeah, it doesn't sound like the first time, yeah. Yeah. But it does seem like an odd source for Tolkien to take inspiration from. I mean, Milton was writing in the 1600s, and, you know, we know Tolkien has a reputation for not really caring much for any literature after the Middle Ages, right? (laughs) That's true. All that newfangled stuff. Right, exactly. That newfangled stuff from the 1600s. Um, There's only one brief reference to Milton in all of his letters, and it has nothing to do with any of this. Tom Shippey does point out some similarities between Tolkien's work and Comus in Author of the Century, but he concludes a couple of paragraphs of, you know, comparisons. He concludes it by saying, I do not expect that Tolkien had much love for Milton with his determinedly Protestant epic Paradise Lost and Mm -hmm. his revolutionary political views. Milton was violently anti-Catholic and a supporter of Oliver Cromwell. So that's what he's talking about there with those revolutionary political views. Right. But he accepted him, like Shakespeare, as a poet capable of true poetry. You know, that's a pretty slim connection back to Milton then. It is. And so I don't really think we have any real reason to believe that Tolkien's use of Sylvan has much to do with Milton. I think it probably has more to do with it. this just being a word that, in archaic usage, was closely associated with supernatural creatures of the forest. It's a description yeah. that fits the Mirkwood elves and the elves of Lorien quite well with all their mysteries and enchantments. As for why he chose the I spelling instead of the Y spelling, I don't really know. I mean, folks out there, your guess is as good as mine. (laughs) Although I think he might have been trying to restore the proper spelling based on the original spelling of that Latin root. You know, that makes sense. But uh, for now, let's go back to the book because we are all about the books here at the Prancing Pony Podcast. Yes, we bring you other Tolkien stuff from time to time. But at heart, Alan and I are fans of Tolkien's books and books about Tolkien. That's our passion. It is indeed. And as you know, we read a lot of books in preparation for the show each week when we're doing our outlines and things. So if you want to get your hands on one of the books that we've talked about on the show, 
you'll want to take a look at the official library page on our website, prancingponypodcast.com, where we have links to every book we've mentioned on the show. And there's a lot of other cool stuff there, too. Show notes and book links specific to each episode. We've got outtakes up there, Prancing Pony Ponderings, and a few other little extras, all on our website. You'll also find a link to our new online storefront at teespring.com stores PPP. There you can find shirts, mugs, stickers, and a lot of other cool PPP gear. Yep. So please check that out. And now, let's go hike a mountain. Oh, if we have to. <laughs> well, at the top of the mountain, could we sing one of the songs from Sound of Music? Maybe. No, yeah. No, I don't, because we we're going to start at the very beginning? No, except we're not. We can, it's the third, that's it's the third episode yeah. in, this, in this chapter. So anyway. We're going to need to get a little meme of us uh, dancing on the top of the mountain. The, you know, the yeah, little Maybe. Gif. Yeah. We're certainly not going to get a picture of it because I'm not going to do it. No. <laughs> so this, right. this episode is the closest I'm coming to hiking a mountain anytime soon. Climb every mountain. There you go. Ford every you go. stream. See, See I'm glad, you, <laughs> glad you've got the energy for that. Ah, uh, barely. I don't have the skill. I have the energy. There don't mix go. the two up. They're very different. You've got the zeal. I like the zeal. There you go. A little zest for self-humiliation. There you go. Well, 150 episodes in, I think we all know that. Oh, yes, we do. Yeah. Penchant for absolutely making a fool of myself. Uh, we are going to start where we left off, but we're not going to start reading right there. We're going to talk a little bit about the beginning of their morning. But I want to jump in about Aragorn here, and that's where we're going to start reading. All right. Only Aragorn was silent and restless. After a while, he left the company and wandered onto the ridge. There he stood in the shadow of a tree looking out southwards and westwards, with his head posed as if he was listening or taking a selfie. <laughs> Sorry. I wonder was if he this will look good on Insta. And the... <laughs> oh, he's got to be doing the duck lips. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Then he returned to the brink of the dell and looked down at the others laughing and talking. What is the matter, Strider? Mary called up. What are you looking for? Do you miss the east wind? No, indeed, he answered. But I miss something. I've been in the country of Holland in many seasons. No folk dwell here now, but many other creatures live here at all times, especially birds. Yet now all things but you are silent. I can feel it. There's no sound for miles about us, and your voices seem to make the ground echo. I do not understand it. Gandalf looked up with sudden interest. But what do you guess is the reason, he asked. Is there more in it than surprise at seeing four hobbits? Not to mention the rest of us, where people are so seldom seen or heard. I hope that's it, answered Aragorn. But I have a sense of watchfulness and of fear that I've never had here before. Then we must be more careful, said Gandalf. If you bring a ranger with you, it is well to pay attention to him, especially if the ranger is Aragorn. We must stop talking aloud, rest quietly, and set the watch. When rangers talk, wizards listen. Oh, I like that. Little little EF ranger there. <laughs> EF strider, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Somebody needed to give similar advice to Thingol. If you marry a Maya, it is well to pay attention to her. Especially, Especially if the Maya if is Melian. Especially if the Maya is Melian, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, we must not do stupid things like threaten our daughter's boyfriends. Stop talking aloud would probably be good advice for Thingol, too. Pretty much. Just shut your mouth. <laughs> probably your best, your best <laughs> idea. Why don't you let the queen talk a little bit? <laughs> yeah, you just nod your head or, or, or shake your head. Just don't open your mouth. Yeah. yeah. 
Stop oh, talking aloud. Rest quietly and let your wife and daughter handle things for a little while. It'll be okay. I'm going to try that line with my kids, though. You must stop talking aloud, rest quietly, and set the watch. <laughs> Dad, set Dad, the what watch? do you mean set What's the watch? <laughs> I don't even know what a watch is. Here, kids, take my watch. Oh, set goodness. it for me. There you go. There you go. Set my, set my watch. What but is Dad, this? It's an what, Apple what's watch. this round face this. with arms? Yeah. <laughs> what, are, what are these pointy things? What is this knob? Seriously. <laughs> We're so old. We are so old, man. We are really you old. how old we sound yeah. right now? Well, my watch is a sundial, so that, that doesn't help. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's, uh, let's discuss a little bit about this. Okay. There's a newly named meal right before we, uh, before we pick up the reading called Supper Breakfast. That oh, their yeah. supper breakfast was merrier than a bit before. I like that. I, I we need breakfast. a name. Yeah, supper breakfast. Now, of course, I think that's because they're having it at night, right? It is their breakfast because they sleep during the day and travel at night. Yeah. So it's a supper time breakfast. Right. But it's not like they're having, what, bacon and scrambled eggs. It's not like their food is probably vastly different from breakfast to dinner. The wide range of menu options is not present. <laughs> I guess they are literally breaking their fast, so it is literally their right, breakfast. Right, right, right. But it's, yeah. it's not like, uh, I will take some eggs over easy, uh, right. wheat toast. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry, sourdough. Yeah. Um, I'll just take a full it's English. Not like, no. It's not like supper breakfast is going to be the new, the new hot, the new trendy meal time. It's a new meal halfway <laughs> between supper and breakfast. You mean lunch? You no, go. no, it's something new. I had plenty of supper breakfasts when I was at college. They were, you know, like moons over my hammy at Denny's at 2 a.m. Oh, well, yeah, there's those. Yeah, exactly. Brupper. You call that brupper. Brupper? <laughs> I don't think we called it that. Sure, why not? <laughs> because it's stupid? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. Like I'm many things I did tonight, in college. Sean, I warn you. Then again, I guess brupper is better than suckfist. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> yep. Why does our Discord crowd always inspire me to say things that might not make the make the actual show? I don't know, but it's great. Let's let's just keep going with it. I love it. That's right. All right. So we get Aragorn being a little restless here. He's not young, so this is not a soap opera. <laughs> That's good. I'm going to let that sit for a while so people can get it. Anyway, less popular or more popular than the other soap opera, The Old and the Restful. <laughs> the Old and the Restful. It's just us taking a nap after recording this episode. <laughs> Seriously. It's us on Wednesdays. The, right, the Old exactly. and the Restful. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant stuff right, right. there. <laughs> this unusual silence. You know, he speaks of it pretty clearly talking about, look, I've been here before many, many times and I've been here throughout different times of the year. So there really is no reason to have this unusual silence that even the birds are gone. Everything's silent. Mm -hmm. your, your talking is making the ground echo. Well, and then Gandalf kind of comes in with, well, you know, he doesn't seem too worried with this. He's like, well, what do you think is the reason for this? I mean, is there more right. to it than surprise at seeing four hobbits and the rest of us out in the wild? Right, right. S specifically mentioning that the creatures might be surprised to see four hobbits, which just makes me wonder if Gandalf's been talking to foxes in the Shire. Because we know foxes are always surprised by hobbits walking around. Well, that's true. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's an interesting, an interesting lack of worry on Gandalf's part here. It really is. It's it's kind of surprising given that Gandalf is typically the group worrier. Right. He's the one who's always concerned about, you know, we're making too much noise. We're not going fast enough. 
software, whatever, there's always a problem with whatever it is they're doing. And it's usually Gandalf who points it out. Mm -hmm. So it is a little surprising to see him take that sort of, really, is it anything really, to worry about? Is it that big of a deal? Yeah. Yeah. But since it's yeah, Aragorn who's observing the watchfulness and fear, is it because he just knows this area so well? You know? Yeah. Is it yeah. because he just, he knows that there's this, there's usually a feeling here that that's not here right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess this is probably a, a good time to take a look at uh, a portion of, well, our favorite letter, letter number 131. It's always a good time for that. It is always a good time okay. for letter 131 to Milton Waldman. Uh, this time, it's actually from a part of the letter that's not included in Carpenter's Letters volume, but is reproduced in Hammond and Skull's Reader's Companion. And in this, Tolkien writes, There is a sense throughout of a hidden watch on their movements, a constant hostility even of beasts and inanimate things. The company is driven to attempt the passage of the ominous mines of Moria, and there Gandalf falls into an abyss in the act of saving them from a trap. Spoilers, I guess. <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> Uh, Hammond and Skull point out that Tolkien's use of the words driven and trap strongly imply that somebody wanted them to take the route into Moria, that at least some, if not all of the events that we'll see over the next few episodes, the Krebine, the Wargs, the weather on Carothras, they were orchestrated by somebody, presumably either Saruman or Sauron. But it's worth noting that two of those events, the Krebine and the Storm in the Mountain Pass, were present in the very, very earliest version of the story before Saruman even existed in the tale. Yeah, I'm going to want to come back to this in a little while when we, when we yeah, see Gandalf yeah. and Aragorn have their little conversation. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, it does seem like this is being orchestrated by someone. It does seem that way, yeah. Now, whether that means it's Sauron or not, since it, it predates Saruman's existence in the tale, mm -hmm. we can really only speculate on that. But as Hammond and Skull conclude, Tolkien himself may not have known who was responsible for these events. In any case, here as elsewhere in Lord of the Rings, the work is improved by the reader experiencing the same uncertainty and suspense as the characters. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, we get Gandalf's wise advice that, you know, we suggested Thingol should have taken about his own wife, which is really, if you've got a ranger with you and it's somebody as experienced as Aragorn. Listen to him. We really ought to pay Listen attention. To him. Otherwise, yeah. why is he here? Yeah. Why are you bringing this guy whose expertise is in this sort of thing? Right. And then you're just going to ignore it. You're not going to so, let the ranger you know, do the ranger thing. Or you're going to let the ranger do the ranger thing, but not listen to the ranger advice. Yeah, that's really a bad idea. <laughs> so, so indeed, they're going to have to be quiet now and set a watch. And we get a little bit about that watch, uh, Sam taking the first one, uh, but Aragorn uh, joining him. And then what do we have as some new friends arrive? Oh, yeah. I hope their cars are parked uh, in, a, in a covered parking space. <laughs> that's right. What's that, Strider? It don't look like a cloud, said Sam in a whisper to Aragorn. He made no answer. He was gazing intently at the sky. But before long, Sam could see for himself what was approaching. Flocks of birds, flying at great speed, were wheeling and circling, and traversing all the land as if they were searching for something, and they were steadily drawing nearer. Lie flat and still, hissed Aragorn, pulling Sam down into the shade of a holly bush for a whole regiment of birds had broken away suddenly from the main host and came, flying low, straight towards the ridge. Sam thought they were a kind of crow of large size. As they passed overhead, in so dense a throng that their shadow followed them darkly over the ground below, one harsh croak was heard. Not until they had dwindled into the distance, north and west, and the sky was again clear, would Aragorn rise. Then he sprang up and went and wakened Gandalf. 
Regiments of black crows are flying over all the land between the mountains and the Grey Flood, he said. And they have passed over Holland. They are not natives here. They are Krebine out of Fangorn and Dunland. I do not know what they are about. Possibly there is some trouble away south from which they are fleeing. But I think they are spying out the land. I have also glimpsed many hawks flying high up in the sky. I think we ought to move again this evening. Holland is no longer wholesome for us. It is being watched. It is being watched. Interesting setup here. I mean, in the paragraph right before the one you read, we get this little line that I thought was worth noting. Uh, the others fell asleep, then the silence grew until even Sam felt it. Mm. I thought that was interesting because there's an implication that it must have been pretty obvious because of that, that the others would have all picked up on it before Sam. Sam is somehow slower or a little more dense or a little more slow in the uptake here. Or at the um, very least, a little more sheltered, you know? Yeah, 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 maybe. I mean, it could maybe. be those other things too. But at the very least, he's more sheltered. He's not. I mean, we get this throughout this chapter, him just kind of constantly complaining to nobody in particular about being outside. That's true. So it could just yeah, be a, yeah. a function of that. But I, I think you're right. It could be mm -hmm. that he's a little bit slower, too. Yeah. But then we get this really vivid description of sounds, that we, you know, the breathing of the sleepers, the swish of the pony's tail, mm -hmm. his own joints creaking. I love that passage. Yeah. I, I, I'm sad almost that we didn't get a chance to read it's it. It's like a pregnant silence with all these little these little sound effects in it. Yeah, it's a cool Yeah, it is. Cool You're passage. right. And then, of course, the birds arrive. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. Yeah, flocks of birds flying at great speed uh, and searching for something, you know, just kind of like going yeah. all around. They're, they're clearly looking for something. And, uh, and the around, one looking crow, for a car to bomb. The one car to bomb. <laughs> and the one yeah. harsh croak. I love that, you know, that one harsh croak as if they're, you know, they're sort of squawking yeah. in unison. That seems ominous, doesn't it? It does. It does. I see you. <laughs> sure, it sounded you just know? like that. Yeah, it's uh, a harsh croak. That's what people hear in the morning when I start speaking. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> Very harsh croak. Yeah, and Aragorn waits. I mean, he he waits until they are absolutely mm -hmm. gone before he, you know, before right. he gets out of his, his hiding spot and wakes up Gandalf. And yeah, they're flying all over. And they don't belong here. They don't belong here. Right, exactly. Yeah, they're yeah. crebine out of Fangorn and Dunland. Probably spies. He, he Even, and Aragorn out. doesn't understand what their purpose is. He yeah. can't figure out from their actions what their their intent is. But whatever their intent is, it Holland is now being watched. Mm -hmm. So we have to. Yeah. We have they're to likely moving. spies. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know crebine. Those crebine. You know the stereotypes are stereotypes because they're true. You know. <laughs> yep. Those crebine. You know those crebine. Those crebine. Well, we remember from the Hobbit. Remember, uh, ravens are good, but crows mm -hmm. are bad. Remember that. That's right. That's what so, I. That's what I was yeah, saying. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about that, because you. Yeah. Because you talked about Crebine uh, back then, and I. Yep. It gives us a chance for more word nerdery. It does. Yeah. So back in episode eighty-two, when we first met those ravens near the Lonely Mountain, we talked about the similarity of the Sindarin word Kraban, which is the singular form of Crebine, mm -hmm. to the Proto-Germanic word Krabanas, which became Old English Hreven, Raven. Now, this Proto-Germanic word is from an old Indo-European root that sounded something like koch and was originally an onomatopoeic word, uh, basically imitating the sound uh -huh. of the, the croak of birds like ravens and crows. And, okay. and that led to this Proto-Germanic word krabanas, which, again, seems to have been an inspiration for Tolkien in, uh, in composing the Sindarin word. Hammond and Skull point out that Jim Allen's introduction to Elvish suggests that kraban may also be related to Old English Crowon, which means to crow, like 
a rooster crowing. No, oh, okay. Yeah. Now, since Tolkien himself said, and this is in uh, Parma Elder Lambron number 17, he said that Kraban was not an ancient Sindarin word and probably a loan from some Manish tongue. It does seem like he probably was intentionally drawing a connection between the Elvish word and the Proto-Germanic one, which is rare that he does that. You know, usually his, his Elvish words don't sound anything like any real world language, but this seems to be an exception. Yeah. Well, now they've got to get moving. Like mm-hmm. we said, Holland's being watched. Uh, Gandalf says in the passage we're not going to read that, well, if that's the case, then the Redhorn Gate's going to be watched as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've got to get moving. Yeah. And now, of course, we can't start any fires because the Krebine will see right. the smoke. And that's uh, that's where I'm going to pick yeah. up. Well, not going to pick up immediately right there. We're, we'll, we'll skip Pippin's little response. And I'm going to pick up shortly after that okay. uh, when they decide to keep moving. All that day, the company remained in hiding. The dark birds passed over now and again, but as the westering sun grew red, they disappeared southwards. At dusk, the company set out, and turning now half east, they steered their course towards Carotheris, which far away still glowed faintly red in the last light of the vanished sun. One by one, white stars sprang forth as the sky faded. Guided by Aragorn, they struck a good path. It looked to Frodo like the remains of an ancient road that had once been broad and well-planned, from Holland to the mountain pass. The moon, now at the full, rose over the mountains and cast a pale light in which the shadows of stones were black. Many of them looked to have been worked by hands, though now they lay tumbled and ruinous in a bleak, barren land. It was the cold, chill hour before the first stir of dawn, and the moon was low. Frodo looked up at the sky. Suddenly, he saw or felt a shadow pass over the high stars, as if for a moment they faded and then flashed out again. He shivered. Did you see anything pass over? He whispered to Gandalf, who was just ahead. No, but I felt it, whatever it was, he answered. It may be nothing, only a wisp of thin cloud. It was moving fast then, muttered Aragorn, and not with the wind. It was moving against the wind. Man. (laughs) A little Bob Seger for you tonight. Come on now. No, I got nothing against Bob Seger. No, how could you? Just didn't see that one coming. No, neither did I. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's rewind a little bit to Pippin's reaction Mm -hmm. to the news about no fire. Classic Uh, stuff. Does that mean I don't get a good meal tonight? (laughs) Pretty much. Pretty much. Thought I was going to wake up and get something hot. It's time for another cold yeah. sandwich. Actually, I love I love Gandalf's response, which requires looking at Pippin's actual language that he uses. I had looked yes, forward to a good meal tonight, to a real good meal tonight. Well, you can go on looking forward, said Gandalf. Keep on <laughs> keep looking. On. That's right. Keep on Just looking. keep on looking, man. You're not going to get it here. Oh, and by the way, I would like a pipe to smoke and warmer feet, yeah. but mm, yeah. oh well. <laughs> Tough luck. Yeah. Good stuff. Can we talk a little bit about Sam? And his confusion about the mountain. Yeah, we didn't we didn't read this passage, but it's it's a really interesting comment by him. What do you, what do you want to say about that? It reveals a real lack of knowledge or a real lack of of understanding of geography mm-hmm. here. Certainly, it does. You know, he feels like we've been on the road long enough that by now we should be seeing the fiery mountain. We should be seeing Mount Doom because we've been on the road right. for three weeks. <laughs> exactly. You know? It's it's high time uh, we saw this Mount Doom. I've been hearing so much about. Surely we've. Sam, the world's a little surely, bigger than right, you think Surely it we've is. walked to and the that, ends of the earth. That's really point. what this is. What's interesting to me about that is it reminds me of a confusion that Bilbo had in The Hobbit. Do you remember mm-hmm. 
chapter three of The Hobbit, it says, One morning they forded a river at a wide, shallow place full of the noise of stones and foam. Right. The far bank was steep and slippery. When they got to the top of it, leading their ponies, they saw that the great mountains had marched down very near to them. Already they seemed only a day's easy journey from the feet of the nearest. Dark and drear it looked, though there were patches of sunlight on its brown sides, and behind its shoulders the tips of snow peaks gleamed. Is that the mountain? asked Bilbo in a solemn voice, looking at it with round eyes. He had never seen a thing that looked so big before. So, interesting kind of, both Sam and Bilbo here, both mistaking a mm-hmm. mountain that's much closer to home for the mountain that they're going towards, you know, for their destination. Right, right. And I think that's reflective of their their parochial mm-hmm. nature, the fact that they kind of viewed the world as being a lot smaller right, than it really exactly. is. Right, exactly. It's like they, they can't really yeah. process the fact that the, the world is much bigger than it than they think yeah. it is. And, and here we're even given a reason why, that maps convey nothing to Sam's mind. That's he, true. He literally just couldn't get his hands around, you know, mentally what a map represented in terms of scale and, yeah. and scope. And again, that's just lack of experience. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Quite out of his reckoning. Yeah. I love that. Out of his reckoning. I mean, and yeah, and yeah. when you think back to, to Bilbo, how Bilbo was once upon a time, similarly out of his reckoning, mm-hmm. and we see yeah. how he is now. Well, that's where Sam's going to be mm-hmm. by the end of this story, which is pretty cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. he will be. He'll get there. But it, but Tolkien takes the time to really point out just how out of his reckoning Sam is in a way that he, he didn't quite with Bilbo. He kind of made jokes about him being sheltered and things like that. Here he really gets into Sam's head a little mm-hmm. bit more, and, and I love it. You really see the, the character's yeah. transformation. Yeah, you really do. Uh, and now, of course, we get to discuss some of the things that I actually read as they head towards Carotheris. Mm-hmm. Aragorn finds a road, which is interesting, a, a remains of an ancient road mm-hmm. from Holland over to the mountain pass. So, of course, that makes sense. This would have been an alternate yeah. way for folks who want to get to the other side rather than having to go through Moria, even when Moria yeah. is open. Stones that look to have been worked by hands. I mean, would these have just been road markers, mm-hmm. things like that, maybe maybe shaped by the Noldor or by the dwarves along the road? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe. And we, uh, we get a, a full moon, so we can plug that into our timeline if we want to. We know that this is January 9th, in part because of that information mm-hmm. on the moon. Right. So Frodo in the Shadow. Sounds like a really bad TV show, doesn't it? <laughs> Frodo in the Shadow. With, uh, <laughs> I'm thinking of, uh, was it The Ghost and Mrs. Muir? That's the one I'm thinking about. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> well, there was an old radio show called I remember Shadow, that. So well, like I don't remember the old really radio show, but I remember there mm-hmm. was a, a movie of it in the, <laughs> in the 90s, I think. You don't remember the no, old radio I, show, you know, Sean? Oh, come on. I've slept since then. <laughs> Oh, so let's talk you. about Frodo in the Shadow. Sorry, yes, we got so, off track there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, the truth is it really does make you think winged Nazgul, mm-hmm. but they've still not crossed the end one. Again, if this is January 9th. Oh, good point. Now, these next quotes from the always charming Grishnok, my favorite guy, took place later on on February 28th. And he says, I came across, said the evil voice, a winged Nazgul awaits us northward on the east bank. And, but the winged Nazgul, not yet. Not yet. He won't let them show themselves across the great river yet. Not too soon. But of course, let's not take an orc's word for it. Well, no, never. How about Gandalf the White? Ooh, not even no, Gandalf never. the Grey. We get to the upgraded one. Oh, we're going straight to the straight to the source here for this one. G two point oh, the trustworthy, the trustworthy one. There you go. In responding to Legolas's claim to have felled the winged messenger, Gandalf lets him know that you only slew his steed. It was a good deed, but the rider was soon horsed again. For he was a Nazgul, one of the nine, who ride now upon winged steeds. 
Soon their terror will overshadow the last armies of our friends cutting off the sun, but they have not yet been allowed to cross the river, and Saruman does not know of this new shape in which the ringwraiths have been clad. And this was a few days later on March 1st. Right. So, no, it really shouldn't be a winged Nazgul. Mm -hmm. But Christopher Tolkien actually believes otherwise. In The Treason of Isengard, he says that, and I'm not going to do a Christopher Tolkien impression, it seems likely to me that the shadow that passed across the stars near Holland was in fact the first precocious appearance of a winged Nazgul. I love that. I've never thought of a winged Nazgul being precocious because we so often use that word to describe like, you know, super smart children or something. Like a six-year-old. Right. Oh, he's so precocious. Yeah. No, no, he's just... No, he's not. He's he's a thousands of years old. Right. Evil creature. (laughs) I know. Uh, But it does just mean early. That's that's interesting. You know, Christopher Tolkien pointing out, you know, what could actually be a little bit of a discrepancy in his father's writing. Right. You know, maybe, maybe this, I mean, because it's, it's inconclusive, mm-hmm. it's, it's not really a discrepancy, but, right, um, right. but yeah, he's thinking his, his father might've actually been thinking he would make this a Nazgul. Yeah. Nazgul. I mean, maybe Sauron didn't permit them to go, but he still went anyway. Sort of like, Ooh. screw you, dad. Well, I'm taking the cars to the, the key to the car and I'm going anyway. Now that would be precocious. That would be precocious. That's true. Mm-hmm. It would also be really bad idea, frankly. I don't want to be in that HR yeah. meeting. No. Yeah. No. All right. Well, well so what's next? <laughs> I well, I get to I get the next passage, and I get to read some of the uh, the debate. Oh between yeah, Gandalf and Aragorn. I love this passage. This is going to be good. So they are climbing up the mountain, right? This is uh, I won't sing that by the way. Not ever again. I, I apologize to all no. of humanity. Uh, and and as they're they're climbing, the weather is starting to change. Go ahead and pick up. Okay, we get the old married couple here. <laughs> You're about right. Winter deepens behind us, he said quietly to Aragorn. The heights away north are whiter than they were. Snow is lying far down their shoulders. Tonight we shall be on our way high up towards the Red Horn Gate. We may well be seen by watchers on that narrow path and waylaid by some evil, but the weather may prove a more deadly enemy than any. What do you think of your course now, Aragorn? Frodo overheard these words and understood that Gandalf and Aragorn were continuing some debate that had begun long before. He listened anxiously. I think no good of our course from beginning to end, as you know well, Gandalf, answered Aragorn, and perils known and unknown will grow as we go on. But we must go on, and it is no good our delaying the passage of the mountains. Further south there are no passes till one comes to the gap of Rohan. I do not trust that way since your news of Saruman. Who knows which side now the marshals of the horse lords serve? Who knows indeed, said Gandalf. But there is another way, and not by the pass of Carathras, the dark and secret way that we have spoken of. But let us not speak of it again. Not yet. Say nothing to the others, I beg, not until it is plain that there is no other way. Yeah. Yeah, this is a really important discussion. You know, Gandalf's pointing out, look, we could be way yeah. late or at least seen, but but the weather is the biggest problem uh, with what is yeah. apparently Aragorn's choice of direction. But let's not let's not hide the fact that they are bickering here. I mean, they are. Yeah. Like what you do you said, think of your course now, Aragorn? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's like uh, you said to go this way, and what do you think of it now? Your great idea now, yeah, Aragorn. Exactly. I mean, that's basically what he's saying. Oh yeah. But Aragorn's response, I mean, look, it's going to be dangerous no matter which way You can we almost take. hear him now falling from the precipice in, in Casa Doom. I told you so! 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Curse um, you, Aragorn. <laughs> Although, actually. No, I know. It would have been the other way around. Because Gandalf in, in the It, it yeah. would have been the other way around, right. which I, I think we're going to talk about in just a moment. Yeah. Yeah. So Aragorn but, would have been uh, the one watching going, ha, 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 ha. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Right. But Aragorn, I love his response. It's going to be, you know, I look, I don't like any of this. No. None of this no. is good. And it's <laughs> we have a choice of no sucks, sucks more, sucks a little less. It's, it's all <laughs> right. bad. It's all terrible. Right. And it's kind of a devil we know, devil we don't know. And we know we can't trust Saruman. Right. So who knows about, you know, the marshal of the, of the horse lords, obviously the Rohirrim. Right, right. We know that we know the gap of Rohan is somewhat unsafe and might be completely unsafe. So we can't go that but way. But at least we know who our enemies would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Gandalf speaks of the dark and secret way. Yeah. yeah. Which Aragorn really doesn't want to doesn't talk want about. To, I don't want to hear it. He's sticking his, ear, his fingers in his ears. La, 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 la. Mm-hmm. I'm not listening. Yeah. <laughs> right. And this is this is really interesting to me, and I would like to spend a little time on it. Yeah, I know where you're going. Is, yeah, same here. Um, yeah, a major departure from um, from the book to the movies here. Yeah. In the book, Gandalf wants to go through Moria. That's obviously the dark and secret way that he is talking about. He right, wants to get right. Aragorn to consider going through Moria. Mm-hmm. Aragorn doesn't want to do it. Now, I think we all can remember very clearly in the movies, you know, you, you can see... Ian McKellen is Gandalf oh, saying, yes. I would not take the road through Moria unless I had no other choice. You know, this is, yeah. movie Gandalf really does not want to go through Moria. That's right. Now, I'm not bringing this up to bash the movies, but it is a very significant difference. That's and I think it's difference. worth talking about why that difference is there. I agree. I mean, movie Gandalf is made to appear very wise by demonstrating this knowledge that there's something dangerous under the mountains and being really afraid of it. Now, Book Gandalf either doesn't know about the Balrog, which honestly seems pretty unlikely. It does, yeah. Or he knows about it and is nevertheless called towards that path. Right. Yeah. And that, I think, is what is so interesting about this. It really Gandalf, is. Gandalf must know about the danger he has to. beneath Moria, but, but he is the one who is pushing to go through there. So the question is, why? And this brings us back to what we were talking about earlier from Hammond and Skull, where they talk about how something seems to be orchestrating events so that they have to go through Moria. Mm-hmm. Is that Sauron, is it Saruman, although Saruman wasn't really conceived of when Tolkien first wrote this stuff. Right. But is it is it evil? Is it Sauron that's doing this? Or is it something else? Right. Is, is, is Iluvatar, mean, that, in a way, guiding right. the, the, the right. fellowship into Moria in order to lead Gandalf so to his... So that Gandalf can die. To his reboot, and, right. To his, you know, right. upgrade. Get, get rebooted as Gandalf yeah. 2.0, yeah. yeah. I mean, I know because that's a crazy thing Gandalf's to say, resurrection but, is, but that's not out of the question, is it? It's not out of the question. No. Although it could just be a case of Spabimi. It could yeah. still be Exactly. It could still be Sauron the evil thing driving him there. Steering him towards it. And yet but, Luvatar is going to find Gandalf a way to Gandalf just seems so ready to go through Moria. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So. Eager, he would even say. Well, I mean, yeah. nobody's eager to go there, but he certainly would prefer going that way rather than deal with Saruman and possibly the right. Rohirrim if they have in fact turned. And maybe that's a devil you know, devil you don't know situation for Gandalf because mm. yeah, I can see that. I mean, I mean to me, I'm thinking, all right, he knows the devil that he knows maybe in fact the Balrog, uh, though he doesn't know whether that particular Balrog is awake or asleep. But right, wouldn't you say though that he still knows maybe, Saruman? I mean, he, he just was there recently at the tower, so I mean, he does know Saruman, and he knows that Saruman has fallen, but he doesn't know what Saruman is totally capable of at this point yet. I mean, he. He knows Saruman has this ring. Uh-huh. 
Maybe he doesn't know what the ring is capable of or what Saruman could do with that ring. Mm-hmm. And he certainly doesn't know anything about the Rohirrim. No, Whereas no, that's true. with that's the totally Balrog, true. maybe he's thinking, with Balrog, maybe he's thinking, well, I, I know what a Balrog is. I think I can handle a Balrog. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's hard to say. Yeah. We don't really know. But, uh, you know, it, like we said, it's, a, it's the devil you know and the devil you don't know. And in the case of Moria, I suppose it really is the literal devil that you know. <laughs> well done. That's well, good. I can't take any yeah. credit for that. That was actually Leah in the Discord chat. Oh, nice. So hat tip to well her. Well done, Leah. It's the fallen Maya you know versus the fallen Maya you don't know. That's the, quite true. The one fallen. Yeah. That's quite true. Yeah. <laughs> or the, the one you know versus the other one you know. <laughs> it's an interesting question. I mean, we don't really have any answers to any of this, but it is really important, I think, to, to recognize that Gandalf wants to go into Moria in mm-hmm. the book. Yeah. yeah. He's pushing for this. And that is interesting because the film really changed that. For, for what reason? Why did the films change that? What To what purpose did they switch those roles? I think because they want Gandalf to look like the wisest one there. And they want him to be the one yeah. who knows that there's something horrible under the mountain. Yeah, that's true. That, that could make sense. And, and I think in the movie, wasn't it Gimli who, who suggested Oh, yeah. It? We could go wasn't through Gimli the mines the of Moria. My cousin Balin would give us a royal welcome. Right. That's, that's exactly yeah. it. That's right. Yeah. So it's Gimli just sort of being dwarvish. Oh, let's go this way. Yeah. My people are down there. And Gandalf is meant to look like the wise and cautious one. Like, oh, no, we, I would not go there unless we had no other choice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think that's why they changed it. But mm-hmm. Fair again, enough. the book comes across as much more nuanced. And I think it really yeah. speaks more to some of these questions of fate and free will. Mm-hmm. I think it does. But they agree to disagree, at least for now. Uh, and they'll think about it. You know, while the rest sleep. Let's call the whole thing off. (laughs) For now. Uh, I'm not going to sing. Not going to sing. Please don't. (laughs) So Frodo hears this whole thing and is listening anxiously, like like we're supposed to be experiencing it. I noticed that earlier when when the debate began. I just wanted to point that out. So. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, we are supposed to be experiencing this because these Mm -hmm. are our two wise counselors. Right. The two people who know the most. Frodo's like the kid hearing his parents argue. Yeah, that's, that's a little bit of what's going on here. Yeah, that's true. But for us, it's like, oh, wow, these are the two smart ones in the fellowship. And right, they right. they can't agree on this. So that is that's an anxious moment. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. So the decision will have been made. And that's where I'm going to pick up with a relatively short reading. In the late afternoon, while the others were finishing their breakfast or their proper or their, <laughs> or their breakfast, it's going to be the hot new trend, man. You're going to be reading about it in Bon Appetit magazine. It's all about proper. Hashtag proper. Anyway, yeah. in the late afternoon, while the others were finishing their breakfast, Gandalf and Aragorn went aside together and stood looking at Carothras. Its sides were now dark and sullen, and its head was in gray cloud. Frodo watched them, wondering which way the debate would go. When they returned to the company, Gandalf spoke, and then he knew that it had been decided to face the weather and the high pass. He was relieved. He could not guess what was the other dark and secret way but the very mention of it had seemed to fill Aragorn with dismay, and Frodo was glad that it had been abandoned. From signs that we have seen lately, said Gandalf, I fear that the Redhorn Gate may be watched, and also I have doubts of the weather that is coming up behind. Snow may come. We must go with all the speed that we can. Even so, it will take us more than two marches before we reach the top of the pass. Dark will come early this evening. We must leave as soon as you can get ready. So, yeah, so we see the conclusion of the previous section in, in Frodo's observation here. 
Right. That ob- that anxious observation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then um, we see that he's relieved that this dark and secret way has been avoided. Yeah. Which sets us up for better disappointment when we end up having to take that route. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. And and it ends up being as awful as everybody thought. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Do you think that his relief is a sign of the fact that he just trusts Aragorn so much at this point because he spent so much time with Aragorn? Well, I think it's uh, it's known versus unknown. You know, we talked about that a little while yeah. ago, the, the devil you know versus the devil you don't. Here it's the path you know versus the path you don't. He knows that it's a mountain pass. He knows it's going to be cold and snowy. But if the other way is so bad that it scares even Aragorn, it must be pretty bad. Yeah, that's fair. That's Gandalf fair. wouldn't concede to the pass if it wasn't. Yeah. And if one of the ways is called the dark and secret way, it's always hard to choose that one over the one that's. Well, yeah. But then Gandalf but talks Gandalf about his explains real life concerns, more about why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He has some concerns about this open pass. I mean, it is mm-hmm. watched. They know. Yeah. They pretty much know that it's watched. Oh, yeah. You, you need to proceed with almost with certainty that it is. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's cold. Uh-huh. It sure is going to be cold. Yes, it will, which is why Boromir gives some good advice that we're not going to read here uh, that, well, look, secrecy is good. Uh, becoming corpsicles is less good. So please, we need to bring stuff for fire. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about Boromir's advice here? Mm-hmm. I mean, OK, look, I know Boromir has traveled. He is a he is a strong man. He's traveled. He's you know, I, I know he's he's in good shape. He's got experience. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he says, I was born under the shadow of the White Mountains, and I know something of journeys in the high places. Okay. I mean, yeah, you were born under the shadow of the White Mountains, but you were born in a palace with servants. I mean, he's he's kind of making it sound... Like First he's a Sherpa like or he's like Kristoff from Frozen or something. You right. Know, like he's, he's got, out there selling ice at the top of the mountain. Yeah. Like he's this mountain man, you know, like, dude, you're like a prince of Gondor. That's true. That is true. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> just, That's a very it's a, good it's point. A weird, it's a weird way he, he words it, you know. We do get a little bit of, of Boromir's knowledge, though, I think later on, you know, maybe not knowledge, but his his way of getting through the snow and, you know, using his strength and things, it's clear that he has no fear of this sort of thing. He doesn't. No, he absolutely does not have fear of it. And he absolutely does know his way around a mountain. I, I'm not saying he doesn't. It's It'll just the way he says it. I kind of, when he comes. <laughs> I just kind It'll of feel be shoveling like... feet of white snow when he comes. Oh, man. No, uh, I just kind of feel like the way he words it, he's kind of fronting a little bit here. He's just, oh, man, I was born into the shadow of these men. You know, oh, yeah, just, I got it. This is easy. We're going to be good. He's going to yeah. bring plenty of wood for the fire. Yeah, which yeah. which one of Denethor's servants uh, was, Carried you know, the wood. manning yeah, the, you're right. the snowplow, yeah. you know, carrying the wood for you? Yeah, pretty much. I guess is my point. Yeah, but, uh, you, and you make a good point. It's a valid thing. I'm going to get some hate mail for that, I'm sure. Somebody's going to be like, hey, will. Boromir. Yeah, that's You fine. probably will. You know where to send it. Send it to Alan at the Prancing Pony Podcast. <laughs> well done, sir. Well done. <laughs> well, after uh, after Sam says, well, you know, I guess we, we could make it up there with some some wood and you know, Bill can carry some more. Gandalf reminds folks, look, that's fine. Bring it. If you want to bring something heavy that you're never going to use, uh, go ahead and put three books in your, in your carry-on bag. <laughs> Be an idiot. Uh, but we can't use these, uh, this wood, un- unless it's a choice between fire and death. Death. That's fair. Not slight discomfort, not kind of blue skin in a few important places. Right. Death. <laughs> yeah. Fire and death. It, it mm-hmm. Really, a, truly a last resort. Yeah, absolutely. Last That's the only resort. Way we're going to be able to use it. Yeah. So I'm going to have you pick up there and read where the company set out again and talk us through some Shire history. All right. The company set out again, with good speed at first. 
but soon their way became steep and difficult. The twisting and climbing road had in many places almost disappeared and was blocked with many fallen stones. The night grew deadly dark under great clouds. A bitter wind swirled among the rocks. By midnight they had climbed to the knees of the great mountains. The narrow path now wound under a sheer wall of cliffs to the left, above which the grim flanks of Karadras towered up invisible in the gloom. On the right was a gulf of darkness where the land fell suddenly into a deep ravine. Laboriously, they climbed a sharp slope and halted for a moment at the top. Frodo felt a soft touch on his face. He put out his arm and saw the dim white flakes of snow settling on his sleeve. They went on, but before long the snow was falling fast, filling all the air and swirling into Frodo's eyes. The dark bent shapes of Gandalf and Aragorn, only a pace or two ahead, could hardly be seen. I don't like this at all panted Sam just behind. Snow's all right on a fine morning, but I like to be in bed while it's falling. I wish this lot would go off to Hobbiton. Folk might welcome it there. Hmm. Except on the high moors of the North Farthing, a heavy fall was rare in the Shire, and was regarded as a pleasant event and a chance for fun. No living hobbit, save Bilbo, could remember the fell winter of 1311, when white wolves invaded the Shire over the frozen brandywine. Sounds like a concert tour. The white wolves came by and Played the played the Shire right across. Do you remember from the, the Fell Winter Brandy Festival, thirteen eleven? Man, the White Wolves. They had uh, frozen brandywine opening for them. There, oh yeah, yeah, that's or, right. Or frozen right. brandywine was probably what they were selling at the at the concession stand. Probably, probably frozen twelve brandywine. bucks a an eight ounce cup. Right, exactly. That's already watered down to begin with. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> so even the road seems to be conspiring against them. You know this. The sharp slopes, the twisting and climbing road, the, the roads disappearing, blocked with stones. Every element seems to be making this journey harder from the get-go. And then the we snow get that starts. a few times throughout this. Oh, we do. Yeah, that we really do. That nature itself, the landscape itself, the mountain itself, the the weather mm -hmm. itself is against them. Yeah, 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 making their journey much harder. And with mm -hmm. the snow, and it doesn't just start coming down; it starts coming down heavy. I mean, mm -hmm. Gandalf and Aragorn are a pace or two ahead, and they could hardly be seen. How right. much snow must be falling to get that level of visibility? More than I've ever seen. I'm a southern Five boy. Five feet? I don't know. I mean, that's blizzard stuff. That's practically a whiteout. I'll take your word for it. You've been up in the, oh, I been up in the mountains. I probably exaggerate about like a whiteout. I've never been in a whiteout. I've been in some pretty heavy snow up in the Sierras on the photography stuff. but I don't know. A, a little bit of snow is too much for me. Yeah, well, that's but. why you're in Austin, Texas. Exactly, yeah. I'm in Southern California. I just like to think of snow and maybe go there once or twice a year to, you know, Big Bear or, or Mammoth if I'm willing to drive. I'm like Sam, basically. I'm like the really sheltered one. I was oh, like, yeah. hey, snow's okay if I'm in bed. But right. this, exactly. this I can't deal with. Yeah. Send it someplace where people would enjoy send, it. <laughs> send it someplace where people might like it. Like, yeah. Back home. Hobbiton. Far away from Alaska. Here. Minnesota. Alaska. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? Alaska, they get plenty of snow. They like it. So just send it yeah, over there. They won't even notice a little bit of snow. No, what's an extra inch or two, you know? Right. All right. But yeah. But what about, uh, we, we get this little bit uh, about mm -hmm. snow the in the Shire, fell don't we, winter. from the narrator. The Fell Winter Fest. Live. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Sorry. Remember those ads? It was always like for like, uh, you know, oh, yeah, I know. the I stadium. Remember yeah. It's always like monster trucks at the Superdome or monster something. Monster trucks. Was, yeah. That's where I'd have to actually add something like, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. There you go. 
That's the stuff. That's what I'm looking for. So much power. <laughs> he has too much power. Don't give me a button, man. Don't give me a button that does fun stuff. He who arises in might. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they, they won't call me that anymore. Pretty soon I will just be the dark enemy of the world. Exactly. Yeah. All right. <laughs> the dark enemy of good taste. <laughs> the, oh, I've been that for a long time, man. <laughs> Where I go, oh, good man. taste crawls into a hole and dies. <laughs> I think you're too hard on yourself. I'm getting, well, I'm trying to get better. I got better. <laughs> I mean, you know. I got better. So let's take a look at that timeline. 1311 by Hobbit Reckoning is Third Age 2911. Now, according to the timeline, Bilbo would have been 21 years old, so he could certainly remember it. Now he's 128, so it's really not a surprise that he's the only one old enough to remember. You'd have to be, oh, presumably at least 115, maybe, to, yeah. to, to really remember, 112, something like that. And there's no other hobbit even remotely as old as Bilbo. So yeah. uh, he's the only one. Yeah, that's true. That's a good, uh, good ad. Now, what do you think about the... What do you think about the narrator taking this aside? You know, I'm only asking this because we've talked a few times about the difference between the Lord of the Rings narrator and the Hobbit yeah. narrator. You know, yeah, the Hobbit right. narrator made asides like this all the time. Do you feel like this mm -hmm. one is kind of That's uh, a very good point. Is this is the first aside we've Lord... seen in a while. Yeah. What do you think about this one? Well, you know, he doesn't do an aside to the reader that kind of breaks the plane, so to speak. He doesn't talk about, you know, uh, an express train or, yeah, or some other... Uh, yeah, you know, and he doesn't address, true, and he doesn't address the reader directly. It's not like, you know, no living hobbit no. knew snow as well as you do or anything like that. Right, so, right, right. Nothing yeah. that breaks that fourth wall. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, here it's just simply an explanation of why Sam's comment makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. I think it yeah. it does make sense. It, it fits well enough with the tone. It's, a, it's an aside, but it's, you know, just purely historical information, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which yeah, is absolutely. useful. It's, it's good explanation. Yeah, it just fleshes out Sam's comment in a way that mm -hmm. uh, that Sam himself would not. You know, Sam yeah. wouldn't explain, oh, by the way, what I mean by that, everybody who's not from the Shire, <laughs> is that, you know, there we right. never, you know, hardly ever get any snow. Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, Sam is not the guy at the party who explains his own references. No, no, that would be <laughs> It's terrible. So right. embarrassing. <laughs> yep. So I'm going to go ahead and pick up the uh, the last reading of this particular part of the chapter, and we'll discuss this at length as well. All right. And I'm picking up exactly where you left off, by the way. Gandalf halted. Snow was thick on his hood and shoulders. It was already ankle-deep about his boots. This is what I feared, he said. What do you say now, Aragorn? <laughs> Sorry, I said it that way on purpose. He never would have said it that way. But that was very much an I told you so. Yeah, um, totally. All right. The old married couple. The old married couple or the, somebody in our, our Discord chat said it was the Statler and Waldorf of uh, the fellowship, which is absolutely true. <laughs> but then again, they're the old married couple of the Muppets. So <laughs> there you yeah. have it. Uh, all right. This is what I feared, he said. What do you say now, Aragorn? That I feared it too, Aragorn answered, but less than other things. I knew the risk of snow, though it seldom falls heavily so far south, save high up in the mountains. But we are not high yet. We are still far down, but the paths are usually open all the winter. I wonder if this is a contrivance of the enemy, said Boromir. They say in my land that he can govern the storms in the mountains of shadow that stand upon the borders of Mordor. He has strange powers and many allies. 
His arm has grown long indeed, said Gimli. If he can draw snow down from the north, the trouble is here three hundred leagues away. His arm has grown long, said Gandalf. Hmm. And we're going to stop there before our voices completely give out. In terms of reading, we got plenty of discussion to come along. Yes, indeed. All right. Speaking of discussion, shall we start? Ankle deep snow. So we're talking, what, uh, three inches maybe in... How long has this gone on? We don't know. It's certainly before long. Not long. long. It's, yeah, that's, it's falling pretty fast. Pretty heavy, pretty heavy snowfall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, I do love Gandalf's little I told you so comment. Oh, yeah. Nick what do you say now, Aragorn? Like, guys, come on. Just can you stop put, the put fighting? Put to rest. Stop arguing, Frodo, please. Stop bickering, please. <laughs> Stay together. <laughs> Don't make me choose between you. Yeah. <laughs> Gandalf gets Frodo every other weekend. Oh, that makes me sad. (laughs) It makes me sad too, dude. That's why we don't want them to fight anymore. Right. (laughs) All right. Uh, But Aragorn's response. Yeah. Yeah, I love this. Yeah, it's cold, but there are worse things. Yeah. You know, like a, I don't know, a winged demon of the underworld. (laughs) That might be worse than snow. What do you mean a winged demon? I mean, I'm just thinking, I'm just pulling that out of the, I was kidding about the winged part. (laughs) What what wings are you speaking of, sir? Metaphorical wings of shadow. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And flame. You haven't gone over to the other side, have you? No, I have not gone under to the other side. Are you right, kidding good. me? It was a good. test. Okay. It was a test to see if you and our Discord listeners would catch that. Do I, did, do I pass the test? You pass. You pass. You pass the test. You may go into, the, go west into the west. <laughs> and remain Sean. Yes. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, no, that, that, that's kind of Aragorn's point is like, look, seriously, there are worse things than bad weather. Uh, yeah. But even he's a little, a little stunned by this. Yeah, he does admit, like, this snow is not normal. You know, no, it doesn't no. usually snow this heavily this, this far, far south. Right. Except for high up. And we're not high up yet. No, we're not. We're not. I, I kind of get what he's talking about. You know, I, I tell mm-hmm. you, I go to Mammoth, uh, you know, every, so, every couple of years and do, you know, photography up in the high Sierras and, you know, I know where the snow typically falls that time of year, mm-hmm. and I know where it doesn't. And if it's already on the ground before I'm getting up to, you know, Bishop, then I know I'm just going to turn around and go home because there's right. too much snow. Uh, so, yeah. Right. Yeah. This is, they're still in the foothills. They're still at the bottom end of the path. This part of the path should be open uh, all year long. And, you know, maybe we'd run into snow further up, but that's yeah. where Boromir's, uh, you know, response comes in. Oh, huh? of course, Boromir's got an opinion. You know, the mountain man. Well, it's because he grew up Sherpa, in the shadow of the White know. Mountains. Yeah, King yeah. Sherpa. Yeah. Oh, goodness. The guy who knows the so, mountains better than anyone. That's right. Yeah, what does he say? Sorry, I cut you off. Well, no, it's all right. <laughs> well, Boromir, of course, they say in my land, you know, I mean, in other words, our people have this knowledge that you right. all don't. Right, because uh, he that knows Sauron everything can, about the mountains. Right, exactly. Yeah. He is, as you point out, the Sherpa clearly, of the team. The mountain, the mountain man. Team. Yeah. He is also known as Grizzly Adams. It's not mentioned really clearly in the text, but look carefully in the appendices. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. One of his many names. So what does he say? He says that Sauron can control the weather, at least in the Mountains of Shadow, right? Uh, which are close to him. Maybe. Yeah. Which are much right. closer to him and certainly much closer to Sauron. Uh, and he points out that, you know, he has these, these allies and he has these strange powers. Mm-hmm. Gimli has an interesting comment, though. He's talking about yeah, the 300 no, leagues. Nobody yeah. denies the fact that Sauron might be able to govern the storms. Gimli's only, you know, his sort of objection is, mm-hmm. you know, well, okay, but his arm has grown really long if he can do it this far away, 300 leagues away, which 
is 900 miles, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, 900 miles. Right. So That's half a continent. Yeah, I guess it's a good point. Yeah. So 900 miles. Now, is this the distance between Mordor, or I guess specifically Barad-dûr and Caradhras? Right. Is that the length of his arm that he's maybe, talking about? Or is maybe. he talking about uh, the difference between uh, where the mountain is and the cold north where the snow is being drawn from? Oh, yeah, because he does say if he can draw snow down from the north to trouble to us, trouble us here 300 away. leagues away. Yeah, so is What's it, being drawn three? Yeah, exactly. Right. Is it his arm is, is 900 miles or is he drawing snow down from 900 miles? I don't know. Yeah, it's, that, I mean, it could be either I'm not one, sure. really. I'm not sure how much it really matters, but it's an interesting uh, ambiguity there. Yeah, yeah, you're right, it is. Gandalf's terrifyingly uh, predictive comment, his arm has grown long. Mm. He's confirming mm-hmm. uh, Gimli's, you know, statement that uh, he must have a very long arm if he can get snow down to us. And kind of like, he's like, yeah. yeah, he does. He does have a that's very long arm. That's not a surprise. And I think that's good to keep in mind, considering that the snow came before, in the story, the snow arrived before Saruman was even part of the tale. So I think we really are supposed to suspect Sauron here. So you think Gandalf is saying, yeah, I, I agree. I think this is Sauron. Or I think he... he's saying, I agree that it could be Sauron, that Sauron uh, that's may, what I in think. fact, be capable. Yeah. I don't think he's confirming I don't think that, he's saying this 100%. is Sauron's deal. I think he's confirming that Sauron has a tremendous power yes, and tremendous reach. Yes, I agree. Yeah, it's, he's not, Gandalf isn't saying, yes, it is Sauron, but he's saying, don't dismiss the idea that it could be Sauron because that's right. his arm has grown it, long. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And, and Gandalf would know. So, yep. well, folks, we are stuck on the mountainside. And it does look pretty bleak, but we're not done yet. So we've got Bartleman's bag coming your way here in just a minute. Some good questions tonight. And even when that's done, well, the talk continues all night long at the Prancing Pony. That's right. We've always got lots of discussion happening in our social media spaces. At our common room on Facebook, you'll find comments, questions, corrections, and more on every episode, as well as updates from us throughout the week. Just look for the Prancing Pony podcast on Facebook and click the like and follow buttons. And now we have another common room over on Reddit. You can find great discussions there at r slash prancingponypod. As always, you can find us on Twitter and on Instagram with the handle at prancingponypod. So follow us wherever you happen to be. Now, if you like us, share us on Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, anywhere else you can find Tolkien fans. And if you really like us and you really want to let the world know how much you like us, give us a review on iTunes. The more reviews we have, the more visible our podcast is. That helps others find us and this great community of Tolkien fans we built together. Mm-hmm. And finally, if you'd like access to exclusive content like postscripts, quarterly specials, PPP swag, and more like listening into an episode live, like several people are doing right now in our Discord channel, then Always you're going to want to check fun. out patreon.com slash prancingponypod to find out how you can join the fellowship of the podcast. Now, I think it's time to see what old Barnabas has in the mailbag for us. Sean. All right. Well, I want to start with a follow-up to a question we had early in the season, Alan. Back in Mm -hmm. episode 139, we had a question from Connor T. about why some people think The Lord of the Rings is nerdy or childish. Oh, I'm sure everybody listening remembers that one. We got a Mm -hmm. lot of great conversation about it back on uh, Facebook, Reddit, and even on our website at the time. Yes, we did. And I I feel like we've even come back to it a few times on the show since then. Well, Connor wrote back to me late last year with a follow-up. That friend of his who called the Lord of the Rings nerd bleep? Well, here's what Connor oh, told yes. me about that friend. I don't think he directly called it that. I think we're No, he didn't say bleep. Friendly, yeah. We're bleeping. No. We're bleeping for him. Yeah. Yes, we are. Or for the friend. I, I don't know for sure that it was him. We bleep but... so you don't have to. <laughs> exactly. 
So here's what Connor told me about his friend. After giving it some thought, I decided that I should just show my friend the podcast where you guys answered my question. Though I had to explain a few of the references you made within the answer, he actually seemed rather receptive. Okay, it wasn't him. He asked me if I had the movies so that he could give them a try. And I, of course, pulled out the extended edition steelbooks out of my back pocket. And we sat down. (laughs) Out of his pocket? Wow, big pockets, man. (laughs) Right. Connor says, and we sat down and watched the trilogy over the weekend. He absolutely loved it. He wouldn't shut up about it. He even managed to make me want to stop talking about it and answering questions, which is quite the accomplishment. Needless to say, he was more than interested in reading the books. He is currently reading Fellowship, and he regularly texts me with questions. It wasn't until That's he texted awesome. me the other day. Isn't that, is that just awesome? so awesome. I love yeah. that. I love the, the little epilogue to this story. It is phenomenal. Going back to Connor, he says, It wasn't until he texted me the other day and asked me what got me into Tolkien that I realized I didn't know. I remembered loving it right away, but it was too long ago to recall my specific thoughts at the time. This made me all the more appreciative of the fact that I am now able to witness firsthand the effect that Tolkien has on people. I'm able to relive the magic of stepping through the door into Middle-earth for the first time. I finally get to share the infatuation that many of us share with Tolkien. Mm -hmm. I wanted to share this to remind everyone of the very tangible effect Tolkien has and will continue to have on people. Connor concludes by saying, thanks guys for the inspiration with the podcast. And I look forward to the many adventures and Def Leppard references to come. <laughs> I don't remember that particular one, but there have been a few, so I'm not surprised. That is really, really cool. Isn't that great? You know, like we know from, from talking to folks like Tom Shippey, a lot of people's problems with Tolkien are based on preconceived notions. And once they actually, you know, read the book, well, they may find they actually like it a lot. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And this, this story proves that. I, I love it. I'm so glad to hear uh, that Connor's friend has has changed his mind. I just I love a story with a change of heart. Yeah, and I just I, I got to say, well done, Connor. Uh, thank you for sharing yes. the podcast with your friend. Kudos. Uh, I'm glad we could help introduce your friend to Middle Earth and to Connor's friend. If you're listening now, welcome to the community of Tolkien fans. We're glad to have you. Indeed. Well, next up, we've gotten a lot of feedback from listeners on episode 144 when we discussed that line from Gandalf about how. In all the long wars of the Dark Tower, treason has ever been our greatest foe. Well, we said Mm -hmm. that was a textual ruin because, after all, there isn't any apparent evidence of treason in the text in the Third Age since Gandalf's arrival in Middle-earth back in Third Age 1000. Mm -hmm. Now, a few of our listeners wrote into us saying, well, what about the First Age? First Age was full of treason. I mean, it was absolutely rife with treason. Treason here, treason there, treason everywhere. Maeglin betraying Gondolin, Easterlings betraying Mithras at the Nirnaeth, and so on. It was a treasonous time. It was the best of times. It was, <laughs> it the, was the treasonous of times. Of it times. was the treasonous of times. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and, and even though the, even though Gandalf wasn't in Middle-earth, he was in Valinor. He must have known about all that was going on. Obviously, this is what he's talking about. So that's what people have been saying to us. Um, yeah. And there certainly sure was. There that. was a lot of treason in the first age. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. You get a treason and you get a treason and you, <laughs> you get, get a, treason. a treason and you get a treason. Uh, oh, man. Right. Definitely. Treason was a major factor in the first age. A lot of yeah. horrible battles were lost mm-hmm. through treason. But yes, I don't think were. Gandalf's thinking about that here. And the reason yeah. I say that is because he says the long wars with the Dark Tower. Now, Ding, ding, ding. That's your answer right there. Mm-hmm. The Dark Tower can only mean Barad-dûr. Uh, not only does the Dark Tower usually mean Barad-dûr when it's mentioned in, in the text, but it couldn't be Angband because Angband wasn't a tower. It was an underground fortress. No. 
So right. the dark tower. It's a very means... teeny tower. You can't really see it very well from here. <laughs> it's yeah, right, exactly. So the dark tower means Sauron. It means the the later dark lord, not Morgoth. And right. the dark tower wasn't built until the second age. Now mm-hmm. it may seem like I'm splitting hairs a little bit here. Oh, this is what the dark tower means, not that. But here's what I got to say: between the fact that he's clearly talking about Sauron, not Morgoth, and the fact that as you said back in that episode, Alan, Gandalf wasn't directly involved in the wars of the First Age. You know, he wasn't right. he wasn't part of the we being referred to there. I just don't think no. he's he's thinking about or talking about the First Age at all. I think he's really specifically talking about the wars with Sauron, Second Age and on. So right. to me, right. this remains a textual ruin because we don't know exactly what those treasons are. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah, I would agree. I would agree wholeheartedly. I, I think... Uh, you know, the, the Dark Tower reference plus the fact that Gandalf wasn't around until Third Age 1000 really narrows this to the timeline of Sauron and his uh, Dark Tower at Barad-dûr. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we can certainly take into consideration the fact that there had been treason in the First Age and that treason may have been our greatest foe then as well. Mm-hmm. But sure. what Gandalf is saying is that even now here in the Third Age, treason has always been our greatest foe. Mm-hmm. And and yet we don't have the details on those, and I think that's okay. I, I I kind of I kind of like not having those details. You know, one of the things that oh I agree. I I've realized as a Tolkien fan, the more I've read um, the Lord of the Rings, and well, especially the Lord of the Rings, because there's so many of those textual ruins in it. I've gotten more comfortable mm-hmm. with those textual ruins. I I like them. Yeah, I, I'm okay with them because they we've talked about this before. They do kind of make the world feel bigger. And mm-hmm. if yeah, we knew deeper, richer, mm-hmm. richer, exactly. And, and as satisfying as it may be to, to read something like Elrond saying, oh, you'll be in the company of Hurin and Turin and Hador. It's very satisfying to read that and say, oh, I know who all those guys are. And I know exactly yep. what he's talking about. That's, that's a textual, not, not ruin anymore. I get that reference. Well, right. It was a textual ruin. It was when it was published. Right. Yeah. right. Exactly. But mm-hmm. now it's not a ruin anymore. You can you can get that reference. That reference has been unbroken, and and now right. I get it. And that's very satisfying. But I also really like the ones that are still broken references because, yeah, they just they add to that richness and they make the world feel real. I love it. They do. They add a depth that, well, that's missing in just about every other sort of franchise along those lines. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's uh, true. I mean, even even big successful ones, they feel like they're a mile wide but an inch deep. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. So I'm I'm cool with it being a textual ruin, and I and I do think it still is one. So I agree wholeheartedly. So what's next? I think we yeah, I that? think we got time for one more here. So okay, finally, Zach T asked this one a while back, and we've been looking for a chance to get it into an episode. Zach mm-hmm. said, "Who's more powerful, Elrond or Galadriel?" I think oh, it is boy. more. I think it is more complex than most people assume. Zach says, "I actually lean towards Elrond." He says but I waver between the two every time I have an internal debate on this. Later on, Zach wrote back with a little bit more. He said, I always thought of Galadriel's sway in the White Council being because of her age or experience or wisdom more than her power. I guess it's hard to say for sure because there's no single point in Lord of the Rings or even the Silmarillion which shows either one of them displaying their might. But Zach Hmm. thinks that people are too quick to dismiss Elrond, and he offers a few exhibits for consideration. He says, Galadriel is Kalaquendi, but it's been so long since she left Valinor that much of the light of Amon has faded. Although, he admits this is kind of hard to quantify. Mm-hmm. He says Elrond is part Maya, and he has seen a Silmaril, probably even held a Silmaril, Zach says. Though, 
I don't, I'm not so sure about that. I mean, I know his mother, Elwing, had a Silmaril, but I know my wife doesn't let our four-year-old handle her jewels, so I don't know about that one. <laughs> That's a good point, yeah. But, uh, but Zach also says that this, with his elven ancestry, puts him as close to Caliquendi as possible without actually being Caliquendi, as in without actually having seen the light of the trees. I don't so know. probably got a point about that. I'm, I'm going I'm to comment there and say I'm not sure that there is such a thing as as close to Caliquendi as possible. I mean, it's a mm. binary thing. It's like, let, let's replace this to something else that you either are or you aren't. As close to being pregnant as possible without having a baby, <laughs> you know, without getting ready to have a baby. I mean, no, that's a, you're either Caliquendi or you're more a Quindy. End of story. So, that's a good point. Know. You know, yeah. I was I was inclined to agree that it certainly elevates Elrond to a level that a lot of oh, Caliquendi wouldn't. But yeah, you're right. As Agreed. close to Caliquendi as possible, it's kind of... Uh, that, that doesn't it's, really, like you said, it's a binary. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Anyway, yeah. go ahead. What else does Zach yeah. say about uh, dismissing Elrond? Yeah, no, it's a good point. Um, he also says Elrond is the literal embodiment of the union between elves and men in Maiar. However, True. he says Galadriel is the embodiment of the union between the three kindreds of the Eldar. Although I would also add valid. that mm-hmm. Elrond has all three kindreds of the Eldar as well as all he three does. kindreds of men and the Maiar. So. Yeah. Yeah. He's a little bit of everything. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I don't know. Lots of good points raised by Zach. Uh, I don't know that mm-hmm. I really want to touch this one, but Alan, <laughs> do you? Uh, well, I think I've already shown that I'm willing to jump in on that. So, yeah, I'll, I'll take a look at this. <laughs> uh, you take the lead on that easy question up front. Leave this beast of a question to me. I appreciate You got that. it. Anytime, man. Uh, yeah, yeah. I- I'm going to put a spin on this question because I really do think that comparing these two directly in a one-on-one, like imagine what it would be like, the Elrond versus Galadriel death match, for example. I'm, I'm going to take a different spin on this and say that, look, Elrond is likely to be the wiser of the two, but maybe Galadriel is a little bit more powerful. Hmm. Yeah, Elrond's partially a Maya. He's 116th specifically. Fancy. You did the math. I like that. We did the math all the way back there. Do you think I could have done that tonight that fast? I've, I'd no. forgotten when we did it, but I'm glad you pulled it up. Oh, man. I remember doing it because it took me hours to get it right, you know, to make sure. <laughs> and then I just discovered that it was online and I could have just ripped it off. There you go. Yeah, you know me and math. I got to get it right. So he, um, Elrond's, you know, demonstrated some power, right? He's got the flood sure. of the Bruin in. Uh, yeah, so so we know that he's got some significant power. But Galadriel was born in Amon, mm-hmm. lived among the Valar, and saw the two trees. Now, Elrond did see a Silmaril, but that's seeing the light of the trees as captured in the gems. It's not seeing the light of the trees themselves. And True. I think that is what makes Galadriel maybe the more powerful of the two. But... I think it's Elrond's genetic makeup that you mentioned earlier, being uh, the embodiment of the union between elves, men, and Maiar. That genetic makeup is what makes him wiser. You notice he's not tempted by the One Ring in any way, or at least the text doesn't suggest he is, either implicitly or explicitly. On the other hand, Galadriel is sorely tempted, though thankfully she succeeds in staving off that temptation. I see that as being indicative of Elrond's greater wisdom. And in a way, maybe even reinforcing the idea that Galadriel is more powerful, since her native power would lead her to be more likely to believe that she could control it. Mm. Whereas I think Elrond knows his limits a bit better. Interesting. So, it's his it's his lesser yeah. power and his more wisdom that makes him his wisdom yeah. about his lesser power, right? Yeah. Because I think he is a little wiser. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's an interesting point. I mean, I guess if if we're talking just about the question of power, who's more powerful, I think I do also lean towards Galadriel. She is Kalaquendi, mm-hmm. and having actually seen the light of the trees has to outweigh any kind of Silmaril handling or, let's say, you know, downstream effects from having Kalaquendi ancestors that Elrond might have. Mm-hmm. 
Now, she also seems to be a highly respected voice in the White Council. Um, even though mm. the candidate she chose to lead the council, which was Gandalf, didn't get picked, right. uh, it does show she's got some wisdom. Right. I'm also thinking of the conversation we had with Corey Olson back in episode 142 about Rivendell versus Lothlorien and how both of them uh-huh. are perilous places because they're elvish, but at least right. Rivendell is a house and is kind of civilized, whereas Lothlorien is like raw, untamed, you know, fairy power. True. I think that's reflected in their leaders, too. I think that Elrond is more approachable mm. because he's half man and yeah, he, yeah. he talks to people of all races. He welcomes people from all cultures and races to his house and to his table and to his councils. True. Galadriel is infinitely more mysterious, more dangerous, and, and I think more powerful. And I think that might be mm-hmm. another way of seeing that difference you're talking about where she's more powerful, but he's right. more wise. You know, she might be more powerful in the sense of like raw, untamed power. But he right. is uh, more more wise, more learned, and more just kind of a person of this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. I don't want to dismiss Elrond too quickly. Uh, and yes, I do think that the combination of elf and man and Maya blood has to count for something. Yeah. Arendelle, Wisdom, if nothing else. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Arendelle's union with Elwing was meant to bring all those lines together into one perfect union. And Elrond is the direct product of that union. So he's definitely a a contender for for power. But I do think it really is more about wisdom and enlightenment. And I think that that ennoblement that we see, which is a key theme in Tolkien, Mm -hmm. and I think it it really kind of shows itself in Elrond's knowledge and his wisdom, as opposed to just pure power. Now, Galadriel's a pure elf, and she's ennobled by contact with the Valar and the trees. But no, I I still think I'm kind of landing where you're landing. I think Elrond is is potentially wiser and definitely more approachable and more person of this world. But for mm-hmm. for pure raw power, got to be Galadriel. Yeah, almost certainly. Well, folks, that wraps it up for another episode of the Prancing Pony podcast. We do hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we have a little party in the snow. Well, having a little bit of Miravore helps. I imagine it would. <laughs> well, as always, folks, we want to thank each of you for listening. And also give a very special thank you to our patrons at the Kirdan's Contribution Tier. Demay in Alaska, James in Virginia, Tamson in Minnesota, Emily in Texas, Chad in Texas, Lance in New Jersey, Paul in Colorado, Jerry in Texas, Bruce in California, and Mario in Utah. Thank you all. Thank you all so much. And folks, make sure you don't miss a single episode of the Prancing Pony Podcast. Subscribe to the show through iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. And one last thing as always, don't forget to send your questions, comments, and most of all, your dark and secret ways to Barlamin at theprancingponypodcast.com, though in hindsight that might not be a good thing to say. Maybe very clear maps of your dark and secret ways and how to avoid all the Balrogs in them. Yeah, that might work. Yeah, there you go. Now, folks, Barlamin is almost never punctual with the mail, but we will get back to you as soon as we can, and your question or comment may be featured on an upcoming show. Well, this has been far too short a time to spend among such excellent and admirable listeners, but until next time. Farewell, friends. 